It took them a while to find out that you had to use a psychic because we didn't have the computers necessary to handle directly the data of the aliens. You had to sort of cut it up into, shall we say, segments and pieces and substitute the aspect of a very good, well-trained psychic. Several of them. They had more than one. All right. Now, Al, I know that we've put out a lot of information. If, if you uh, don't mind, I'm going to open up the phone lines for a moment. Uh, I mean, I'm going to tell everyone they can start calling in. If you want to talk with Al Bielek about time travel or the Philadelphia Experiment, why don't we take about five minutes to try to make a little sense out of this? Okay. Not, not that we can make sense <laughs> out of it, but let's try to draw it together. Okay. There was, first of all, the Philadelphia Experiment in the 30s and the 40s. It was successful in terms of the hardware, a total failure in terms of the human element. That problem was solved in the late 40s and early 50s with a completely successful new approach, new system from 1954 onward. And that invisibility equipment, after many generations of change, is currently used without any problems with personnel. After the war was over, these German scientists, uh, mostly Jewish scientists, were put into work in various projects. At Mon uh, <clears throat> later at Montauk, first at Brookhaven, and they worked on time travel, mind control, and various things. The Germans were working on time travel themselves during World War II, allegedly quite successfully. And the project expanded and finally was taken to Montauk, became part of the Montauk project. We call it Montauk because of the physical location as the primary research point. There were other locations, but that was the primary one. And it was ongoing through uh, 1983, August 12th, doing time tunnel work, time research, programming of boys, a lot of other research programs we don't really have full cognizance of yet today. And that ended on the 12th of August, 1983, at night when the system was sabotaged and had to be destroyed by acetylene torches to cut apart the, shall we say, the brains of the operation. Let's tell people why it had to be sabotaged. Basically because the purpose uh, was looked at by Duncan and others as being very evil, and he decided it had to go. He suddenly got religion in the last few weeks. He was there in 83, if I may put it that way. And they plotted to destroy this thing by having Duncan one day at the proper command, which was supplied by Preston, told him the time is now, and out of a subconscious, the id, as it were, came this image of a monster, the station, that is the equipment, was capable of making any mental image solid 3D reality. And it did. This thing wandered around the base 12 to 15 feet high, much like an overgrown Sasquatch, and started smashing buildings and people. And when the word got around what was going on, it couldn't get in the radar towers much too strong. And everything was going haywire. The station master, Jack Pruitt, said, we've got to shut this thing off. They could not shut it off with the AC power. They couldn't shut it off by cutting the power lines with axes, which they did. They finally had to send somebody in the tower <coughs> and with a settling torch and cut apart the transmitter because it was running on its own, pulling power out of the Duroc Sea, if you want to use that term, out of a time zero point, which are well-known aspects of modern physics in the last 10 years. And it was running itself with no power or help from Lilco. So it had to be destroyed in terms of the brain, the interconnection of computers and data. So let's get this straight. Uh, what happened was that Dun uh, Duncan visualized a uh, large Sasquatch-type monster. Right. Uh, it was right. made 3D by the, by the equipment. 
That's right. And this thing starts walking around, destroying everything. Right. So and you have to shut it down to, to get you rid have of this. Shut the station down to shut it down. What was the size of this thing? I think you told me forty feet once. Was that right? Nobody knows for sure. The estimates varied from twelve feet to thirty-five feet. Probably. Now you had some pictures. How scared the person was. I saw it. You showed me some pictures one time. Yes, I have pictures of it because the thing is still frozen in time. The pictures were taken from the top of the radar tower in May of '86. And long-range telephoto lenses and blow-up, you can see it. It looks like a Sasquatch sitting next to a concrete parapet, which was part of the old fortification works from World War II. And video has picked it up in January of 93. It's on videotape now, as well as other camera shots. And it's still there. It's still frozen in time. All right, what I'm going to do here is I want to tell everyone once again about how they could get uh, these Montauk Project books. And then uh, we've got uh, some people hanging on the lines who want to talk to you. Um, I hope that all of you uh, are, take it seriously because this uh, information, as, as uh, wild as it seems, uh, tends to prove itself out as the years go along. And uh, if time travel is a reality, and I think it certainly is, then uh, where we are here in the past... Uh, has nothing to do with what's going on out there in the future. If they've got time travel out there, which I believe they do, then they can easily access what we're doing. And if they can go back in time to come to see us, if they can come from the future back here, then uh, we or they can literally go forward into future. I mean, it just makes sense. Uh, with that thought in mind, uh, let's take some of our calls and let's see what we have here. Uh, our first call is uh, Jean out of Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to the show, Jean. Are you there? Very interesting. I'm trying to keep an open mind here. It is really kind of hard to believe some of these things, uh, but I'm interested in, in, in this kind of uh, information. So I was wondering, if if this is true, do you think it's leading for good or for bad? Is it leading us toward heaven or hell? It could be used quite literally either way. Okay. Usage in terms of what Duncan at that time thought in, uh, let us say, July 1983 was that it was not being used for good, it was being used for evil. It was the reason why he got together with some other people to sabotage the station. Uh, but that was the viewpoint of certain people. Dr. John von Neumann certainly didn't agree, and there were other people who didn't. The station of itself was neither good nor evil. It was what it was used for and what the end purpose was that made it one or the other. Well, when they, when they were, when they detonated the first nuclear bomb, you know, they didn't know whether it was going to start a chain reaction that wouldn't stop and like that. Do you think there's any kind of danger of that happening when you screw around with time and space? If you play too much fabric of time, yes, you can create some very serious problems. That is a true statement. And this is one reason why the government is hanging very tightly on to the means for generating time or creating time machines and generating the means for travel. They realize that there is a potential problem. Everybody can't play around with a time machine any more than they don't want everybody playing with atomic bombs. They're both very dangerous if improperly used. Yeah, well, as venal and as power-hungry as people in our government, in my opinion, seem to be sometimes, it's a scary thought that they would have access to something where they could just wipe out the, you know, the American Revolution or anything else they didn't agree with. Yeah. All right. Okay, Mark, Summer Point, uh, New Jersey. Summer's Point, or is it Summer Point? Summer's Point. All right. Where? Uh, what station do you listen to out there? Uh, 1450 AM WFPG in Atlantic City. All right. 
Welcome to the show, John, uh, Mark. Thank you. Your uh, question. Re- it just sounds so unreal. I was wondering before I would... <laughs> You're not the only person, <laughs> Mark. <laughs> uh, how Al could convince me or give some credibility to uh, the comments and remarks he's been making. Well, now, what kind of credibility are you looking for before, uh, because you, if you're looking for something, we need to know what it is first. Well, anything to uh, make it seem more realistic than a good fairy tale. Okay. Good question. And that is a good question. Many people over the years have been skeptical, and I don't blame them. Uh, it is actually healthy to be skeptical and to look for proof, demand proof. Go do your own homework, so to speak, and see what you can find in the libraries and so forth. I would tell you this much. Uh, there were Senate hearings, and I only found this out quite recently, in the United States Senate in 1954, dealing with the Philadelphia Experiment, in which many people, from Admiral Helen Carter to John von Neumann to uh, Dr. Vannevar Bush, then the scientific advisor to the president, all talked about the Philadelphia Experiment and what the ramifications were on closed-door hearings, which went on for weeks, possibly months. His entire hearing process, the, all of the records were classified, were kept classified until December of 1989 when the U.S. Senate declassified this, and I'm trying to get the exact docket numbers. One friend of mine has seen the report. It amounts to 3,413 pages of documentation on the Philadelphia Experiment and everything else that was involved. And in case you didn't know it, there were not one, just the Eldridge. There were two other ships involved in the Atlantic, the DE-013 and the 078, and there was also another ship involved in the Pacific, working out of the Long Beach Naval Shipyard in 1944. And this is all in the, the Senate reports. When I can get the exact information, I'll pass it on. I have not yet been able to get the docket number, because a friend who read this went back to get more information and found that the entire file had disappeared out of the local library where he was in the western state. It was not in California. So there is proof, but the problem is laying one's hands on it. And the government, of course, still denies that this project ever took place for reasons of their own involving many ramifications and many aspects. But there is proof available. One friend of mine has, from his father, 900 pages of notes. His father, who was directly involved in the experiment, had made his own notes over the years of what happened. And uh, there is information available. The problem is getting it in view of the public domain without having it destroyed first. With the uh, Freedom of Information Act and knowing a declassification date by Congress in 89, would research in the Library of Congress produce the documents that you wanted? Possibly would, but uh, you don't even really need freedom of information because it's already declassified. I've already gone through a local senator here, and I've gone through various libraries here. Nobody ever heard of the report. And we may not have the wording exactly right. If there's one word off in the title, you're not going to get anywhere. And they all tell me, we don't care what the title is. Give us the document number. So but basically, yeah, basically what... As a reference, couldn't it be found through the Library of Congress by subject matter? Well, Mark, I think what you're not hearing is, is that, that while, it's in, while you can find, you could find the information if it was being available. It's not available to people. That's the problem. I thought... Um, that Al had said it wasn't available in a particular library, but I've always been under the impression that it, that the Library of Congress is a repository for all information yes, to be stored. Basically, that is true. Now, again, to go through that channel, one has to have an exact title or the document number. 
subject matter itself al alone is not sufficient? No. no. My previous too many reports. That's the problem. Over the years, the Senate has filed thousands of reports, and some of them are on scientific matters. Mark, I, I'm sorry I have to let you go, but if you want to uh, call back later on, we're going to have lots of time for callers. Uh, we need to move forward here. Uh, Charlie, Flagstaff, Arizona. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Hi. Um, you were saying that uh, previously you'd been kidnapped and brainwashed and sent back into the past. Do you now fear for your personal safety? Do you take any measures to retain your freedom? Number one, I have no fear of my personal safety because of the fact that both Duncan and I current Duncan, of course, and myself were part of the time loop problem, and they have to keep us alive to keep uh, things stabilized, at least until the year 2003. Now, we don't know the whole reason for that. It goes into the time equations that were general, generated by Dr. Norman Levinson, and we don't know all of the ramifications of this. So the they two of you got about, me, you know? got about seven years left, huh? About that. <laughs> After that, theoretically, I'm expendable. But no, they have never approached me. They have never said a word to me directly. Indirectly, I've got some word. And I know that uh, certain people around me who attempt to come up with additional information or supply me with information are often in very grave difficulties. Okay, uh, Charlie, you're still there? Uh-huh. Okay, where were we in that call? Uh, I, we finished up what I was asking about, but I was wondering if you could recap exactly what the nature of the Philadelphia experiment was and what... Uh, you mentioned an invisibility device. That was the basic idea, was to make a ship at a line or any major object or piece of military hardware invisible to radar and invisible to sight. It was completely successful in 1943 in terms of the hardware. It was a total failure in terms of the personnel that couldn't take the, the extremely high-powered energies involved. That problem was solved in 1953-54, and they have now fully successful systems. Yeah, we might add that the entire stealth bomber uh, is all based on that technology, isn't it? That's right. The stealth bomber, the stealth fighter, the B-1, all of the Navy fighter aircraft, Israeli fighter aircraft, the SR-71, even the large carriers can go invisible if they want. Charlie, i got to let you go. Uh, we'll be having more calls uh, in the next hour, so if you want to call back, great. Uh, Ruth, Charleston, West Virginia. Hang in there, Ruth. How you doing? Good. A couple of questions. Do you, in order to travel, uh, do you have to get into a ship or a machine, or can you do this totally through the mind? No, you cannot do this through a mind. This involves equipment and machinery to be precise and accurate. I'm not going to say that time travel through the mind is impossible because some people claim it, but we were not dealing with anything like this. We were dealing with hardware, hard equipment, and travel in the physical body. Okay, and my second question, do I understand that you have taken on a new identity? And can you talk about that a little bit before the news? She wants to talk about walk-ins. No, <laughs> well... Well, that's essentially what Al is at this point. Okay. You could say that, but it's not uh, strictly the case. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Duncan is the walk-in. Duncan walk is the walk-in. All I right. Am, I am in the same body. Okay, so are you Al or... Du you're, who's Duncan? Duncan's on Long Island. Duncan is his brother. There was Edward Cameron and Duncan Cameron. Al Bielik is Edward Cameron in a uh, younger version of the same body he was in got, uh, and went to a new family. Right. <sighs> and Duncan Cameron has a second body with the same soul. Right. <laughs> How's that, Ruth? Okay. That's fine with me. Uh, yeah, right. Everybody wants to know if we're taking notes on this one. 
Ruth, would you like to hang on during the news, or do you want to... Uh... Oh, I think my question was answered. Okay, thanks Thank for you. calling. All right. Uh, Al Bielek, you uh, are going to stay with us. I appreciate that a lot. We've got quite a few calls here. Al out of Pittsburgh, uh, I'm sorry, Pittsfield, Mass. Hang in there. Scott Lake Charles, hang in there. We're going to get to your calls. Al Bielek is my guest. We'll be back in the third hour with more on this time travel continuum. And we have Al, Pittsfield, Mass. Uh, Al, are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay, you have a question for Al Bielek. Yes, I do. And I want to thank Al Bielek for sticking with us. I know you have to get up in the morning and when you, uh, or <laughs> actually you have to get up later. So uh, let me know when you've had enough and we'll uh, we'll uh, continue from there. Al Bielek, you there? I'm here. Yes. Well, I'm sorry about that. Now you, uh, now we've lost uh, that call. Let's see if he calls back. Let's, uh, let's see. Then I've got you hanging on without a, without a phone call. Now you probably are saying, "Hey, Bruce." Uh... <laughs> well, we got cut off the line earlier. I don't know what happened. Okay. Well, we never know. Uh, let's let's see if we can just kind of maybe finalize this thing because I do appreciate the fact that you came on. Uh, the show you've done the last two hours, and I know that you've got to get up early, and I promised you that we would not uh, keep you on for the third hour, but here I was asking you to stay for these phone calls, and then right. something has happened with the calls. Um, we were left with an interesting question, though, and maybe we could answer this. The question, actually, that Ruth kind of brought up when she... The question really was the one about what a walk-in is. Now, it, t it turns out that Duncan, your brother... Uh, was aging very quickly due to the time-space continuum and things having to do with that. Right. Uh, another body was found for him. Uh, it was created for the... Created, created for him, okay. And then his soul was taken from his existing body and then put into a new body. Yes. Now, uh, this probably is a tough one for religious people to... I'm sure they could accept it, but they may not feel very good about it. It is tough for the religious people because uh, it tends to violate, in terms of what they've been taught, uh, the sanctity of the soul and so forth. Not only are the aliens, but the government is quite capable of shoveling, if I may use it that simply, shoveling a soul from one body to another, whether it be because one of the earlier body was dying or for whatever reason. It's a technique which among many things which are, has been concealed by the secret government, and I do not mean the political government. The secret government has access to many secrets which uh, I think would be absolutely horrifying to the average person and to the average religious person. It does not go along with the tenets of religion as has been taught to all of us, including myself. Okay, so at this point, Duncan is quite a bit younger than you, even though at one time yes. the two of you were pretty close. That's Matter of fact, was he your older brother? No, I was older than he was. I was the firstborn at that time. So you originally were how old? How much older than him? Uh, about nine months. Okay, now you are how much older than him? Now I am about, uh, let us say, 20, almost 30 years older. He's, he today is 43. I'm uh, 67 as of the end of March. And so... So he got a good deal here. Does that make you a little jealous? <laughs> In a certain sense, he got a good deal. He's much younger than I. And uh, I mean, do you want to? Do you want? I mean, listen. I mean, is there anything you can do about this? Uh, we, oh, okay. Let's. Al Pittsfield, Mass. Yes. Great. Welcome to the show. Sorry we lost you before. You had a question for Al Bela. Yes, I did. All I'd right. like to know if uh, Bela knows a Doctor Rica. R e c h a r d. Otis Rica. 
R-I-C-H-A-R-D? That is correct, sir. The name is not familiar to me at the moment. Well, I'd like to lend credibility to your story in that he was head, uh, he was the head of the mathematics department at the University of Wyoming. Okay. And he gave a series of lectures during uh, 1937 to 38. And among them was a lecture on the fourth dimension. It is a non-technical essay. I'm sure they must have documented the talk out there, but it was most fascinating, and it's right up your alley. If anybody doubted what's in your books, I think they should start with a freebie right there. University of Wyoming. That is correct, sir. Yeah, great. Now, uh, do you, uh, Al, do you want to uh, have Glenn uh, get some information on uh, Al from Pittsfield, Mass? You can contact him on your on your... If he can dig that uh, document up for you, give me a chapter, title, and verse, I would appreciate it. I wouldn't be able to do that, but I'm sure that the library at there must have documented his his uh, series of lectures. And uh, what was the actual lecture on again? The Fourth Dimension. Fourth Dimension, oh yes. Right. And he has a son that came later. Not to be confused, this son was also a mathematician, but the Dr. Rieger headed the department uh, for the period I mentioned. Okay. All right, Al, I appreciate it. Thank you very much yes, for your call. Thank you. Very helpful. Okay, now we'll get back into order here. Let me see. Scott, Lake Charles, Louisiana. Are you there? Hello. Scott? Hello. Yeah, I'm here. Lake Charles. Yes. Good. I All right, a... Scott, hang in there. Go for it. Okay. Could you go over the original physics of it, a gravity field? What, 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 what exactly? I Woo. missed the very beginning. Okay. You, you electrified gravity and time or something? The four basic elements, electric fields, magnetic fields, gravitic fields, and time are all interrelated. And if you can access three of them, you access the fourth. This is all in the unified field theory. <clears throat> and what we were working with was a means for tapping into the gravitic field and with it the time field. This is feasible. Okay. It's been done and more than one time and more than one way. So is Einstein still around someplace? Yes, Einstein uh, did complete the unified field theory in 1938, but it's never been released to the public. Yeah, but did, did the people, the powers that be, keep him around, keep that mind around or that soul someplace? No, he uh, died in 1955, as far as I know, in a perfectly normal way. And uh, he's sort of the granddaddy in our Yes, in our in realm respect, of all that. but he was not the first because there were other people who made major contributions right. prior to that. Well, one who comes to mind always is P.D. Ospensky that people really don't talk too much about because he was Russian. That's right, but he uh, was a very good mathematician, and he went into uh, the fifth dimension of our reality, multiple dimensions. That's quite true. P.D. Ospensky was... Where, where in Montauk is the Air Force Base? Because I used to live out there. I'm sorry? Where, where in Montauk exactly is Point Hero? Uh, Ed Montauk is in the Montauk Air Force Base, which is about a half mile west of the lighthouse. Uh, half mile west of the lighthouse. Right. It's I in there somewhere concealed. Like you can't see it from the road, but you certainly can see the radar tower from the road. Right. And the, it's still an Air Force Base. It's uh, surplus. It is no longer, was not considered as being uh, government property until in January to March 1993. They reclassified it, sealed it back off, 
put up all new fences, full-time guards. Oh, that's funny, because that's when I was out there. And it's not exactly uh, surplus territory anymore. It has been reclaimed by the government. It's now being used full-time. And what do you imagine is happening there now? I'm sorry? And what do you imagine is happening there right now? We don't know exactly what's happening there, except a lot of equipment goes in by truck every day, and stuff comes out every day. Yeah, and a signal is absolutely coming out of there, isn't there, Al? Yes. And you're a Long Island guy now? You live in Long Island? Uh, there are people who have been monitoring those signals, and you can monitor them anywhere in the eastern part of the island until you get west of Narragansett. And which uh, senator have you been working with to try and dig up this information? Well, I've been working with, to some extent with Senator Nunn here, uh -huh. which is in Georgia. And oh, you're from Georgia now? Yes, I'm oh, I in Arizona. Right. Uh -huh. And uh, so far through his office, I've not been able to turn up the information I want. Okay, so well, Scott. Good luck. All right, got to let you go because I know that Al's going to want to get out of here too. He's been on awfully long. Uh, Scott, Wichita, Kansas. Welcome to the show, Scott. Great program. Thank you. Uh, two quick questions. First one has a two-part. Sir, you mentioned earlier uh, about the open door bit about every 20 years. Yes. Okay. My question is, uh, what? How about a paradox, and how would that affect? That's the first question. Second question is, didn't Einstein uh, have this through his math, wizardry or whatever? Did he have this figured out anyway? We'll answer in reverse. Yes, Einstein had it to some extent in his math about time machines and time travel, but he was part of the project in the sense that being there at the Institute, he was the overseer of all the projects ongoing, and he definitely was involved with this one on the Philadelphia Experiment, or what became called that later. And there's no question he was involved there. And to go back to the first part of your statement or question, there have been many aspects involved here in terms of the travel. And if you re paraphrase the question, I can probably answer it more uh, directly. Uh, basically, what I'm asking on my first question was, is there such a thing as a paradox? And if so, how would it affect the, uh, I, I, what I would call the open door theory that you mentioned every 20 years? Okay. <coughs> the open door idea, which is actually a synchronization, not truly an open door, is has been established by other researchers in recent years that there is the synchronization potential. The problem with the paradox, as you mention it, which is where perhaps a person traveling through time confronts himself, this is definitely a problem. It is a no-no, so to speak, which the government is well aware of. You don't allow a person to come through uh, time and come back and confront himself coming through an entire time loop because you can create a very serious problem. Both poor persons, actually one and the same person from different times, could be annihilated. Yeah. This is the theory. I've never seen it happen. But nevertheless, you do have this problem of a time paradox, looping through time and uh, confronting yourself over uh, an issue which theoretically should never happen. Uh, this is a problem which is looked at by those who theoretically examine the whole fabric and structure of time. All right, Scott, I've got to let you go on that because we've got, I, I know that Al is, is being good to us. He's staying on, and then he uh, absolutely has to get off soon. So I've got to take a call. Um, 
Mississippi. Barbara, Taunton, Massachusetts. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Are you there? Barbara, don't let me down now. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, I have a lot of... Um, it's, it's very intriguing, by the way. Um, I don't know where to begin. Um, um, well, you better hurry up because Al's <laughs> going to leave us soon. <laughs> where does reincarnation come in on this? Where does uh, robotic, robotic people come in? Where does the experiment when embryos come in? Why are they experimenting with the northern lights? Uh, okay, maybe we better hold off on all these questions. That's, I think yeah. we're going to have to leave it with that, Marv, okay? So, uh, Al? Yes. Okay, uh, reincarnation is not normally a part of the business of time travel because we're dealing with hardware. And uh, a person could theoretically go from, let's say, the year 1980 into the ancient past, or they could go far into the future. So the point is that when a person reincarnates or incarnates, they don't have to incarnate always in the future like we no, think. No, they don't. They can That's go back or forth. One of the aspects forth. that was uh, found out, namely, you have a phenomenon called a time lock on that person's soul when they connect with the body that has been uh, procreated, i.e. the beginning of the fetus, long before it's born. So the time lock keeps you keeps you in time and space at that point. That's correct. Okay. There's a reference there. All right. When you die, you lose that reference, and uh, you can go off in time, and literally you can go into the future and go into the past if you want. All right. And of course, that was one of the things that happened on the ship, isn't it? Yes. The ship the, fouled up a lot of people. So, that, so what happened to many of those uh, sailors who were on the Eldridge during the uh, initial uh, or the second experiment? Second. Uh, they lost their time lock. Yes. They okay. disappeared or they melted into the steel because they lost all their references, and this was one of the problems they had to solve. Okay, Barbara, you ran through those so fast we just weren't unable to do all of them, but I'll tell you what, I, I, I invite you to call back after Al leaves and we can talk about it. Glenn Ellensburg, is that Washington? Yeah. Okay, Glenn, welcome to the show. How can we help you? Um... I didn't hear the first two hours, but okay. <laughs> well, I, I've heard about the Philadelphia experiment, uh, experiment so right. I'm a little bit familiar with with the uh, general uh, okay. situation here. Um, and I was wondering if if uh, Al could talk a little more about the um, secret government. Um, can he enlighten? Okay, that's going to be a tough one because he's only got about a, uh, a few minutes here, and he's yeah. going to be leaving us. However, I'll tell you what, Glenn. Uh, if you want to hang in there, uh, Al will do the best he can, and if you want to hang on, I'll be happy to, to give you a little discourse on that. Right. How's that sound? Okay. okay. Know, basically, there's a distinction between our political government, the elected government, and a hidden uh, covert government we call typically the, uh, simply the secret government. They wish to establish a new world order, a worldwide government, override all of the individual governments, and, of course, they've been operating behind the scenes for many years. Basically, they became relatively stronger in 1947, and that was the year of the major reorganization of our military and a lot of our institutions. They have operated in the background. They have had a great interest in all of these very far-out scientific research programs. They have had available to them anti-gravity drives, uh, domestically built UFOs, and many other things which the average public knows nothing about and has kept complete ignorance of. And most of the scientific fraternity also are ignorant 
of the facts unless they have become directly involved themselves in some of these very secret research programs. There are two tiers of technology, if you will. The one which you read about in school books and college texts and in libraries, and the real one, which is anywhere from 30 to 50 years ahead. Al, what do you want to do? <laughs> i got three minutes to break. Do you want to hang around or do you want to leave? Oh, uh, go to break and then I'll leave. Okay, because uh, we're going to break now. we got to break. Okay. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Okay, I appreciate it very much, Bruce, having me on the show again. All right, uh, let's see. Glenn, are you still there? Ellensburg, uh, Washington? Yeah. Okay. Um, basically, um, if I can, uh, I, I certainly can't fill in for Al Bielik, but I do have a world of information. Uh, you were wondering, I guess, from what I was uh, maybe gleaning from the conversation, um, about this uh, second tier of, of uh, government and also the second tier of, of um, technology. Is that basically the gist of your uh, thoughts here? Yeah, right. Especially, yeah. Okay, now the interesting thing is, and I maybe I don't know if you've listened to all three hours tonight. Did you say you hadn't? Or? No, I, okay. I, I wasn't in. Right. Okay. Well, anyway, just to kind of review, what's interesting about this entire idea of time travel, and I think that I should address all of the listeners at this point, uh, is this. Uh, if you want to let go of what you understand about uh, um, science today, and just for a moment let go of all of your beliefs consider the idea that time travel exists sometime in the future if time travel exists sometime in the future that means that they in the future can come back to us today if they can come back to us today then they have the means of doing what going back to the future so if that's a possibility, and I believe it is, then in actuality, right now, today, there are people time-traveling right now in the future, from here now. Um, as far as technologies are concerned, uh, Glenn, just to address part of your question, um, it is uh, interesting to note that in the Montauk Project books and in a lot of the information from Al, Al Bielik's uh, video, he talks about this two-tiered technology. Uh, there's the technology and science that we, as the, uh, let's call ourselves the worker bees, <laughs> know about. And then it also tends to be, for some strange reason, a very high technology out there that we never hear about. Uh, your comments? Yeah, um, well, that makes sense, I guess. Um, just like you say, you don't. You don't hear about it, so it's hard to uh, take it in, but I, I've heard a little bit about it. Um, well, I was wondering, like, in the Philadelphia experiment, um, I, I've, uh, Einstein and, and some other people were involved that we, that we know of. Um, and so where were they getting their information? Were they getting their information just from... Uh, I mean, what sources did they come up with it themselves? It's an interesting point that you bring up because you know there are those who who say, and, and I, I believe them, and I've read uh, accounts of this uh, in some documentation, that Nikola Tesla, for example, now I'm not talking about Einstein right now, yeah, so right. I'll make sure nobody calls it and starts saying I said that Einstein said this. Nikola Tesla actually stated 
to uh, a group of people uh, at different times that he literally got many of his drawings and his ideas and his formulas from extraterrestrial beings. Uh, he even had a makeshift antenna set up at the top of his building in New York City, which he claims he used for communication. But a lot of this uh, has been poo-pooed by those who say that he was either joking or he was out of his mind and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So that's something for you to think about. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I have heard that before, uh, now that you mentioned it. Glenn, uh, I need to let you go. I've got a bunch of calls, I think, and uh, the other Glenn, my board operator, uh, producer, has not told me anything other than Flagstaff, Arizona. Who? Charlie from Flagstaff. Uh, Charlie. All right, Charlie. Welcome to the show. Hi. All right, it's you and I now, or you and me. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier the third book, The Pyramids of Montauk. Do you think you could address that for a little while? I can't address it, and I'll tell you why. I feel that that uh, my qualifications are just not enough. Now, I've I've looked over the book. Uh, frankly, I tell you, Charlie, I dis I don't mean to disappoint you, and perhaps the listeners who thought, oh boy, we're going to find out something about it. Um, I'm very careful about talking about things that I do not understand, and frankly, I'm going to have to leave the Pyramids of Montauk alone. <laughs> All right. Uh, but I will tell you that we've got a good deal on that book, and uh, if you hang in there for about five minutes uh, and listen to the show, I'll tell you how you can get that book. I don't think you can find that book in a store. I was also wondering if um, you've ever done or are planning on doing an interview with Robert Anton Wilson. Okay, now I don't know uh, Robert. Tell me a little bit about him, and I'll take some notes here. Um, he wrote. Uh, it, it's not really connected to the subject. I probably should call another time about it. Oh, Jean from Jonesboro. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hi. All right, you get to talk to me for a change. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really love the show tonight. Uh, I, I was expressing uh, my honest uh, uh, skepticism and confusion about some of the things that were right. being said, but at the same time. A lot of the comments that this gentleman had made casually, you know, fit in well with some things that I'd been studying with fourth dimensional theories about time, past, present, future being malleable and coexistent, you know, and all that kind of thing. Yes. And I just, uh, I was really impressed with a lot of the ideas. Um, when he, especially the lady who asked the question about reincarnation and things like that. Yeah, Ruth, uh, one of my favorite callers out of Charleston. Right. Um, when you had uh, Dr. Goldberg on, when he had done the regressions and progressions, mm -hmm. right. I've read his book since then, and it's really fantastic. And some of this seems to be fairly consistent with that, and some of my own beliefs that, you know, that I, I'm pretty religious, but none of this really um, uh, contradicts any of my ideas about, you know, about God and man and things like that, that if God's outside of space and time as we know it, that none of this would contradict your... Right. Your it, it's a very interesting point that you bring up, John, because I think um, one of the things that uh, that people need to understand is that is that religion and understanding of God, so on and so forth, can be expanded. It's not being contradicted or in any way um, made uh, unimportant through all this information, but rather uh, it gives people a different perspective. It makes them feel, you know, like a lot of people think of God as this, this well, we have this vision of the old man on a throne. Right. Not that God isn't, but I'm saying he could be, uh, he could be and, and but he doesn't necessarily have to be in our time-space continuum. He could be in another continuum, which changes things dramatically for us. Right. You know, we used to think the world was flat, and our theology kind of depended on that, and now we realize that that wasn't a contradiction. 
So, you know, this, uh, these ideas about space and time maybe being some sort of, you know, hyperspheric or whatever thing could be kind of, you know what I'm saying, just something that Absolutely. going to be more powerful than we ever thought and more wonderful and not less. Yes. Uh, no, I just wanted to say thanks for having a good show that kind of expands people's minds beyond the horizons <laughs> and uh, helping us become a little more mature, I think. I appreciate your, uh, your call in quite often, and I, and I tell you what, I do appreciate the fact that, that, uh, that there are different agendas out there. Uh, and, and not just Christian. I mean, there's many different agendas, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate your listenership. Thank you, sir. So thanks you for calling. I appreciate it. Uh, Barbara, Taunton, Massachusetts, you're back on the air. Yes. I'm the one that brought up the reincarnation. Yes. I like that. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm wondering. <clears throat> I understand there... Um, did you feel... Uh, just let me interrupt a second. Did you feel that you uh, understood what he said? How did you feel about the idea that you could incarnate either way? I think that's pretty good. <laughs> Cause, because, you know, you always hear everyone says, I was so-and-so in my past life, and then their past life is always what? Somewhere somewhere understood in the history, right? Well, I always understood reincarnation as you're born again into another infant or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and this works real well, doesn't it? Because it says, it says you can be born anytime, anywhere. Oh, yes, definitely so. In fact, I'm looking up a reference here. Um, uh, Khalil Gibran, the prophet. Yes, Khalil Gibran. Okay. Okay. And his last words were, I will be born, um, you know, he'll, he'll be back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was when his little boat went off with his body in it, back like one of the Vikings or something. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway... <clears throat> What I'm interested in is, um, you know, this new world order, or, or um, I don't know why I'm feeling robotic people, and why are they demonstrating with the northern lights? What's concerning me is... Um, now, why don't you fill me in on this, because I don't think I understand this. Go ahead. Well, first of all, you said robotics. Well, yeah, you know, uh, there are some people you talk to, they sound like they're wound up or something. I don't know. All right. Uh, but anyway... Um, I've met a few of those in Hollywood lately. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is the, uh, the, the, the government doing demonstrating with the Northern Lights? Okay, now that's one thing I'm not familiar with, and I was wondering if you could fill me in on that, and maybe we can open up the phone lines if there's someone who knows about this. Well, I understand. I had heard it on one program. I, I have a tendency to, to hit these targets right, you know, mm -hmm. when they're coming out for some odd reason. Um, and they're demonstrating with that. They're demonstrating with embryos, um, you know, the, the, the embryos of uh, whatever outside of the woman. I mean, it, it, it sounds like... Now, when you use the word demonstrate, what do you mean? Well, experimenting. Let's okay. That way. They're so they're experimenting with embryos, experimenting with the, the northern lights. Right, yeah, and um, I don't know. I look at the catastrophic uh, way that the uh, weather patterns have changed. And, you know, I don't know about any time warps or time zones or whatever's going on, but... You know, these uh, catastrophic uh, weather patterns are, uh, you know, I, I just don't understand, you know. You and everybody else. <laughs> um, all right, uh, let's see. Barbara, I'm going to have to let you go because okay. uh, we're coming up on a, on a break. But thank you so much for your call. I appreciate that. Bruce Stephen Holmes, Timeless Voyager Radio. What a show we had this evening. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed it. It was absolutely, uh, I think, not just amazing, but very, very educational.